No, I'm, I'm glad to hear that, obviously. The, the return to the movies, I think now that New York City and also LA are open, you're going to start hearing these anecdotes, these experiences of my first trip back, you know, after, after almost a year of closure. This is the Box Office Podcast. I'm Rebecca Polly, the deputy editor of Box Office Pro, the only magazine dedicated exclusively to the worldwide theatrical marketplace. We'll be joined later in this episode by my colleague and co-host Daniel Luria, editorial director of Box Office Pro, to speak with Paul Surwitz, president and COO of Landmark Theaters, to break down the New York City reopening, which, of course, uh, we're very excited about here at the Box Office Podcast. But first, we have my favorite person, Sean Robbins, on to give us a breakdown of some box office numbers that have occurred over the last week. Sean, what happened over the weekend? Raya's second weekend in theaters, it, it had a pretty good hold, is my understanding, right? Yeah, yeah. It's great to be back and actually talk about some numbers again with you, Rebecca. We were looking, Disney reported a 33% drop in its second weekend for Raya, which is solid, all, all things considered, especially given how much of the market is open. That's pretty much in line with what the War with Grandpa dropped back in October. It was about a 31% drop. And of course, we could look at Crude's or, or Tom and Jerry, but in Crude's case, it was coming off of Thanksgiving, so it dropped 54%, and Tom and Jerry dropped 53% when it opened when Rye opened against it. So really the war with grandpa is probably the best comparison point five month old family film at this point against Raya. And, you know, we're still looking at several chains that aren't playing the film. And I think the fact that uh, we saw a little bit over half of theaters open in the market this weekend, we're still inching back even with New York reopening some theaters Disney is saying, however, that close to 80% of the domestic marketplace from a grossing capacity is able to operate now. That can mean a few different things. I think able to operate is a very uh, important phrase there because that doesn't necessarily mean that they are anywhere near their maximum uh, you know, achievement in terms of those grosses. Yeah. Seems like a very carefully chosen phrase. <laughs> it, yeah, very much. Uh, and then plus, L.A. is just in the early stages of getting their theaters open. And so there's a little bit of uncertainty going into last weekend as to whether L.A. would have any contribution even on Saturday or Sunday to the market. We're now kind of understanding that it will be some theaters. We know that Regal still will not be open for a little while. But that's going to continue to make forecasts very tricky because when we're seeing phrases like able to operate and percentages that really apply in different ways across the the geographic map of the box office, it's tough to get a read on things at times. But I think the positive takeaway here is that most films are fulfilling that that trend we've seen throughout the pandemic and and really holding on for the most part really well each week. Well, I want to take it back pre-pandemic. I want to hop into a time machine with you and go back to 2009 uh, to revisit the film Avatar number one at the box office globally then and now again, right? Yeah, everything old is new again. And such is the case for Avatar. We're 20 months, I believe, right after Avengers Endgame passed it globally uh, when it earned $2.797 billion, uh, in its first run back in 2019, which passed Avatar by less than $10 million globally. Now... Avatar is back on top thanks to a re-release in China where it made over 21 million this weekend, which is the biggest re-release of any film during the pandemic in that country. 
Uh, and I believe that topped the first Harry Potter films weekend last year. So Avatar remains very popular in the Middle Kingdom. And by all accounts, it should still rack up some money in the next couple of weeks. And now it's it's past $2.8 billion. And, of course, its original run was about $2.74 billion. It actually was re-released in late 2010 and made another $45 million. So this is technically its second official re-release in that capacity. But, yeah, so now Disney is in the position of being able to say that uh, they have the sequel to the biggest movie of all time when Avatar 2 comes out, be that next year or five years from now. And they still, it, it, I hadn't thought about that, that when Avatar first came out, it was a, a Fox release, right? And yeah. now, whether it's Avatar or Endgame at the top of the list, they're uh, they're both Disney, so. <laughs> yeah, it's Disney's in a no-lose situation here, and who knows, after the Avatar sequels have come out, maybe they re-release Endgame and lead up to another Avengers movie. It's, it's probably going to be a back-and-forth thing for the next decade, I would imagine. Yeah, a little bit of a ping-pong. Yeah. Well, Sean, thanks so much, as always, for providing your insight. We'll be speaking with you in, in more detail next week to kind of see how things broke down in L.A., how the reopenings of L.A. and New York have affected domestic box office. Thanks so much. <laughs> thanks, Rebecca. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, for our feature story today, we are going to be speaking with uh, my colleague and regular co-host, Daniel Aria, editorial director of Box Office Pro, about something that has a huge impact on the box office moving forward, namely the reopening of one of the two most key markets in North America, New York City. Daniel, how you doing? I'm feeling very optimistic, which is weird to say on this podcast about the movie theater industry, but I don't know, maybe little by little... It looks like this big uh, fog of COVID, this pink cloud, is finally lifting from the theatrical industry. Los Angeles and New York City movie theaters, after nearly a year, have finally reopened. Rebecca, I know you went to the movies for the first time in over a year in New York City last weekend. What did you see? Where did you see it? I saw Judas and the Black Messiah at the Nighthawk Cinema, which is, uh, it has two locations in Brooklyn, and one is walking distance from my house, which not having to use mass transit was definitely a factor in choosing that movie and that movie theater. Also, they have really good uh, cheesy tater tots. The best. I love those tater tots. Yeah, so good. It was a good experience. I mean, I was, uh, it's a small auditorium that Judas was in. Uh, it, it, I think it was sold out at 25% capacity. I was one of, I counted 13 people, maybe uh, maybe a little bit more than that with, uh, with latecomers straggling in. But I, like I said, I intentionally chose a theater that I would walk to instead of having to, to do public transportation. I was you know, from a level of, of personal responsibility, I was safe as I could take it, and, and I felt comfortable with it. And I'm very glad I didn't uh, didn't watch it at home because this last year has absolutely destroyed any attention span that I have with all the time that we've all been spending this year looking at various screens. So I know that if I had attempted to watch it on HBO Max, and I'm not proud to admit this, I would have picked up my phone at some point. And <laughs> I was in a position where I could not do that. And I enjoyed the movie much more for that. No, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Obviously, the, the return to the movies, I think now that New York City and also LA are open, you're going to start hearing these anecdotes, these experiences of my first trip back you know, after, after almost a year of closure. But for us folks here in the coasts, here in New York, over there in LA, 
we're really getting that experience that most of the country was able to to have back in August, back in September. I kind of wanted the experience everyone else. I wanted to see the old like Raiders of the Lost Ark and the, <laughs> the nostalgia programming on the big screen, but I'm, I'm glad there are new releases. I was, uh, you know, comfortable enough with my experience that I've already booked my booked my ticket for my second movie theater experience of 2021. But uh, LA, it's uh, it's coming up soon to y'all. I'm I'm happy for my West Coast brethren. Absolutely. And that's something that we were expecting really all week once we heard the revised reopening guidelines that would be coming into LA. It was just a matter of when, what day is it going to be that the first LA movie theaters are going to be coming back? So in that LA reopening, Rebecca, just to recap where we stand, Los Angeles County is allowing movie theaters, indoor movie theaters, to reopen at 25% capacity with a maximum of 100 people per auditorium. Similar to New York City's rules, as we know, New York City is 25% capacity, 50 people maximum per auditorium. And we really didn't know when that exact date was going to be. But actually, Rebecca, as we found out on Friday night, Cinemark opened the first major circuit location in Los Angeles County on Saturday, March 13th, with the reopening of the Cinemark location in Long Beach. Uh, So Daniel, you and I uh, weren't able to go around and and visit that theater when it reopened. Sadly, uh, we are on the wrong coast, but we were able to visit some uh, New York City locations on March 5th, the first day that uh, cinemas in that city were allowed to be reopened. One of those is one of my favorite cinemas in New York City, a quad owned by Landmark Theaters. Now, Daniel, you were able to speak to Paul Surwitz, the president and COO of Landmark, about the process of reopening in New York. Uh, What were some of the insights that he tossed your way? Yeah, it was an interesting conversation. I think as we opened this podcast, uh, Rebecca, we're very tentative in showing any signs of hope. And that's certainly the vibe I got from Paul as we very tentatively looked back to that first weekend in operation for the Quad, which is owned by Landmark's parent company, Cohen Media Group, and is being programmed right now by Landmark Theaters. As some of our listeners might know, Landmark Theaters is the largest specialty circuit in the United States, meaning they really rely on specialty distribution coming uh, from those LA and New York markets. Landmark, unfortunately, had to close their iconic New York City location in the Upper West Side during the pandemic. But on March 5th, they were able to work with their parent companies, Quad Cinema, in welcoming back New Yorkers to the movies. That's yeah. It's, it's hard to feel ultra confident after what's happened over the last year. That every you know, all the false starts and when we had had positive trends, you know, getting derailed. And I mean, this does feel different than all of those. The changes that have occurred since the middle of January this year, and clearly the COVID numbers haven't rapidly dropped. And most importantly, the vaccine program rolling out and picking up some steam and all that stuff. So those are all the things that we obviously need and feel like we has to have to happen to right the ship. But yeah, it's hard not to, you know, keep just a corner of the eye out on the other guy. Right. The yeah. other driver. So, <laughs> uh, I'm hopeful uh, like everybody else. It's uh, we have seen, you know, while it's been, I mean, to call it baby steps would be probably an understatement. Uh, mm-hmm. But we have seen 
little indicators over the last four weeks, three and a half weeks, that people seem to be a little more relaxed about you know going out and going out to theaters. We've seen some individual film grosses, you know, just on a very here and there spotty basis, show signs that we haven't seen much mm-hmm. of, if at all, since August. You know, those are the little indicators that we need, and hopefully they will continue to trend that way. And like you say, not take a step forward and two steps back. And those were some interesting insights that that Paul brings up in the indicators that he's seeing that the market is recovering. In a story that I wrote for BoxOfficePro.com recently, I highlighted the role of Boogie, specialty release from Focus Features, in starting to bring back the box office for specialty titles. And that's going to be crucial for circuits like Landmark and a lot of art houses to really start to reopen, right? It's going to be a a step-by-step situation, not an easy one. And really, it's just one of those challenges, getting the right content that comes to reopening. Rebecca, Paul actually was able to go into a lot more detail on the 10 days they had to get a closed theater back open. Well, it wasn't easy, and none of them have been. But I will say this, we have gotten accustomed, dating back six months now, to getting very little advance notice, you know, from any, any particular state or locality. You know, having a week to a week and a half has been typical. A couple of weeks is like a luxury. <laughs> and I think everybody in exhibition has gotten, or at least a lot of people in exhibition, have gotten pretty savvy at exercising or implementing a pretty quick turnaround to get ready. And we've learned a lot along the way. You know, we're able to get the jump on ordered materials, PPE materials and inventory items that we needed in advance, you know, as we could see the potential for various states and markets to reopen. So that's helped. And uh, but the quad specifically, you know, New York came as a surprise. I mean, a lot of people were thinking that New York could be, you know, New York and L.A. could easily be as far back as April, May, June, even. Uh, to reopen, and it, it did seem to happen pretty quickly. So uh, there was a lot of scrambling, but we were able to get it done with all the necessary arrangements, you know, which mainly are staffing, making sure the sound and projection are ready, up and running, inventory for concessions and, and that sort of thing, and the PP, all the PPE-related equipment. So uh, it took a, a week and a half of nonstop activity and trying to get things delivered to the theater and all of that to be ready, but we we made it. I can uh, absolutely relate to uh, Paul's surprise, Daniel, that I think you and I both shared that uh, New York opened as early as it did March 5th after nearly a year of radio silence from Governor Cuomo, from Mayor de Blasio, about any sort of indication about uh, when cinemas would be able to reopen. Now, of course, it wasn't a zero to 60 situation. It's not from cinemas are closed to, oh, cinemas can reopen again at 100%, 75%, 50%, 33%. We had to start down at, down at 25%, which for New York, a lot of these auditoriums are very small. Real estate's at a premium. In many cases, 25% of seats financially is difficult. And uh, Paul spoke a bit on the challenges of that as well, specifically in a market like New York, opening at 25% capacity. 25%, that's, 
that's pretty difficult, right? And there's different yeah. 25%. If, you, if you've got the AMC at Lincoln Square and that IMAX screen with that huge auditorium, right. sure, 25% there, 50 people maximum there, that's one thing. But obviously, if you're working uh, in the village, there's not that many auditoriums where 25% can make it easy. Well, is it a break even at 25% for you guys? Or is this more about letting audiences know you're there? It's, it's pretty hard to break even at 25% with small capacity. So the quad's a good example where that puts us at you know roughly 25 people max per show. So pretty hard to drive enough revenue from that to be in the black. So a large part of it is just trying to tap into that pent up demand for those audiences that are dying to go and ready to go and, and do go. And, you know, making it so we can get important films and important filmmakers content back in theaters where they belong to be seen and just create access. You know, the movie business has long been associated with just access, the ability to for movies to be on screen and for people to be able to go to theaters and find them. And I think as you know, in any market, as the ability to open theaters continues to expand, there's going to be a curve of from the point of opening to, you know, over the subsequent number of weeks and months to for people to get back in the habit, get accustomed to the fact that theaters are open and, and movies they want to see are available to be seen in theaters. And you have to provide some runway for audiences to get back in. So that's a big part of it. And, um, you know, the hope, of course, around the restriction, the capacity restrictions are that the trend we've seen in the industry since August, where virtually no tracing of COVID outbreak has occurred from movie theaters, will quickly result in capacities being relaxed right. so that that 25% becomes 50%. And when you get to that point, it's reasonable to say in many cases that you can make a run at it if you're getting the foot traffic. Now, that's a, been a whole other story. The capacity restrictions in our industry dating back to when theater started reopening last year has not been a big challenge for in most cases. There's you know, rare exceptions that whatever the percentage capacity restriction has, has posed problems. You know, there's always the ability to add shows and add capacity to additional screens because there's a lot of flexibility out there in the marketplace right now. So in those few instances when movies were in specific locations that actually were driving some real business, that capacity restrictions became problematic, usually you can find ways to address that. And we should all be so lucky to have to, find, have to go find ways to address that. You know, hopefully those days are coming and, and maybe the capacity restrictions will be have, will relaxed enough by the time crowds are big enough to actually challenge those capacities. But we'll deal with that. But, yeah, at its core, these small capacities of 25 percent or less in some markets out of the gate. We've had we've had markets where a couple markets where they opened at 10 percent. But a low number like 25 percent is difficult and certainly for any sustained period of time, that's not going to work from a you know an operating cash flow perspective. But you know we are seeing on a market by market, state by state basis, those those capacities you know being relaxed a bit, and hopefully in the next thirty to sixty days, sort of congruent with the vaccines and the continuing 
decreasing on COVID numbers, we'll see a quicker pace of those capacity restrictions being relaxed and ultimately lifted to some, you know, some extent. I mean, the state of Texas has lifted them, but we've actually chosen to stick with 50% so far, just out of an abundance of caution. So it's just a matter of, you know, seeing those things uptick over, you know, a relatively short period of time. And that is Paul Surwitz, the president and COO of Landmark Theatres. Talking about that reopening process, Rebecca, one of the things that really stood out for me is that even at this early stage with states like Texas lifting those restrictions on capacity, Landmark actually took a very cautious step, said, you know what, out of an abundance of caution, we're going to stick with that 50% capacity for the time being. So it's not really a case where you have exhibitors saying, hey, we need no restrictions to come back. That willingness to say, hey, we can make it work at 50% for now as audiences come back. And I think a lot of exhibitors are ready and planning to live with this 50% capacity for a couple of months as vaccinations continue to ramp up. Now, that being said, these uh, decreased capacities, either 25, either 50%, they might not mean much in box office, but they mean a lot when it comes to have content from either major studios or in Landmark's case, the specialty market, come back. It first comes in the form of how it impacts the distributors, because obviously New York and hopefully soon Los Angeles are are just you know those historic launch pads, both from a number standpoint and in particular a you know press publicity and just cultural buzz standpoint, critics etc. That start to drive uh, a limited platform release rollout, and so New York coming back online is going to you know it, it's not going to be immediate, but it it should take form I think pretty quickly where you know that'll be a significant piece to how distributors relook at how, when they're going to release their specialty titles. Um, it's been hugely problematic for those distributors through this period. You know, there was a point last fall before, you know, the COVID numbers really started resurging that there was close to 70% of the theaters around the country open, but not New York and LA. And that posed a particular problem really for all distributors and studios, but especially the, the specialty distributors who rely so much on a New York LA opening to launch a movie, you know, and it's not just from a number standpoint, it's from a press publicity critics and buzz standpoint. Um, and even though those markets represent such, such you know, big numbers to all studios and distributors in terms of how much business they can deliver, uh, it was a unique problem for the specialty market and New York opening is going to help start to, put things back in place. You know, there's a lot of speculation that Los Angeles is shortly going to be able to open. Nobody's heard that officially, but we, we have, you know, hopeful that it'll be soon. And that'll be the other piece of that equation. You know, as a fan of independent film, as Daniel, you are as well, uh, this is something that's really interesting to me because the conversation that I think we've been seeing a lot around film over the past year is that, of course, cinemas will always have a place. Cinemas aren't dying. Cinemas aren't going away. And that cinemas are especially important for these huge blockbuster titles where you can't get the same experience at home as you would if you're seeing a big action blockbuster on the big screen. Uh, And the question as to where that leaves specialty titles that 
arguably, you know, lend themselves a little bit better to streaming than the next biggest, you know, explosion heavy Marvel movie. You know, that's interesting to me because I don't want specialty films to disappear from theaters. And I don't think it's the case that they will, even though, admittedly, the status quo is changing when it comes to the theatrical exclusivity window. And that's something, Rebecca, that Landmark has been dealing with for a number of years. You could actually say dealing more proactively than a lot of other major circuits because the specialty market, they've been having to wrangle these different windowing around specialty projects, either from Netflix, either from other art house distributors. So... Yeah, they, they've had these conversations. It's something that I even asked Paul in our conversation. You know, having had these conversations with distributors before, did it put you at an advantage now? He responded that not really. Whatever the conversations you had pre-COVID, whether you'd come to terms or not, are very different from the conversations you're going to be having after the pandemic. Even with how Landmark has sort of uh, adopted varied windowing measures from different kinds of companies, whether it's, you know, independent distributors, you know, streamers, etc. We still believe in the theatrical window and a theatrical exclusivity that is still and will always be the strongest ticket for exhibition to excel. So to the extent that we certainly want windowing, you know, protection for exhibition, it's still there. We still we still benefit from it like anybody, any other exhibition player does. But we do feel like we've adapted to some extent and have had to adapt over the last two or three years in a, in a way that recognizes you know the realities and the changes that are occurring in our marketplace. And and again, there's no question that things are not going to look the same, even when our industry and you know daily our daily lives have stabilized. Uh, there's going to be a lot of things from this this period of COVID that will stick. So we just have to be able to find ways to adapt. It's really great to hear from Paul on this. I've lived in New York for only 12 years at this point, but some of my fondest movie-going memories from that time have been at two landmark cinemas, both of which sadly have closed. One was that uh, flagship you mentioned, Landmark 57, that is not coming back from the pandemic. That's where I saw Cats, so it'll live on forever in my memory from that. And, and then the other was uh, in Soho, The Landmark Sunshine, where they you know, would play these nostalgia titles at midnight of like Mortal Kombat and The Princess Bride, and people showed up. And I was one of those people who, who showed up for uh, a midnight screening of Mortal Kombat at The Landmark Sunshine. So a retroactive thanks to Paul Sorowitz for that great experience. And that's the first Mortal Kombat, the original Mortal Kombat, not this uh, upcoming remake from Warner Brothers that I'm very much looking forward to seeing. It's a, it's a tall order to surpass the original, though. I'm, I'm excited to see if they'll do it. One of the best theme songs of all time. We, we have to give it to Mortal Kombat. Uh, a fantastic, fantastic theme song. Well, thanks again to our guest this week, Paul Surwitz, the president and COO of Landmark Theatres. The Box Office Podcast is produced by Record Edit Podcast and Box Office Pro by myself and my colleague, Rebecca Polly. The Box Office Podcast will return next week for our one-year anniversary episode with our other co-hosts, Russ Fisher and Sean Robbins, 
providing some analysis on the year that was and some quotes from a recent Giants of Exhibition panel with some of the top circuits in the country. Thanks again. <laughs>